welcome to the 90s Club Footy Podcast. This week on episode 25 of the podcast, we head to Cadinia Park and chat with former Geelong utility, Derek Hall. Derek, who commenced his AFL career with West Coast, headed to Geelong for the start of the 1995 season. He ended up playing 74 games in the blue and white hoops, whilst kicking 74 goals. Derek also had the chance to represent WA State of Origin twice. In this episode, Derek talks about his time at the West Coast Eagles, the influence of Jeff Geeshin for him to join the Cats, playing alongside Gary Ablett, the controversial final series in 1997, and the new beginnings at the Cats in 2000. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Derek Hall. Derek Hall, thank you for joining me on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Great to be chatting with you, mate. And being a, a Cats man, it's nice to talk to, uh, you know, a former Geelong player. Well, thank, yeah, thank you very much for having me, Trent. I'm really looking forward to the chat. I'm, I enjoyed talking footy, especially footy back in the day when, when I was around. So, uh, no, I'm interested to see where this goes. Hey, Hall, do you talk, do you reminisce much about your time in the AFL? Like, is it something you do often? Like, you know, if people speak to you about it, you're happy to reminisce or you're someone that sort of keeps pretty quiet with it? Uh, no, I, I probably don't chat about it too much. I live um, pretty isolated, to be honest. We're, we're near Bunbury in Western Australia, but in a town where uh, not a lot of people probably know that I actually played AFL footy back in the day. So, um it doesn't get brought up often. It occasionally comes up, and if I've had a few, if I've had a couple under my belt and get a little bit of confidence up, I'll have a bit of a chat about it. But I generally don't too much. It's uh, you know, it was a long time ago. I almost feel like someone else did it, not myself. So, um, but having said that, it's something I do enjoy talking about. Like, and this podcast you're doing is a great way to just sit back and reminisce. And I'm sure that we'll bring up some things that will trigger a few memories and uh, bring up things that I've probably just about almost forgot. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, mate, before we get into the footy talk, you just said you're uh, in Western Australia. What are you doing with yourself, you know, sort of post-footy? Yeah, so I, um, I lived over in the Golden Valley after I finished at Geelong. I came into WA for a couple of years and moved to the Golden Valley. Lived in Marutna for 11 years, was involved in the footy club there. Then was involved at the Katandra Cats, which is out in the Pocola League, which is the club that David T comes from. Um, and then we, myself and my wife, decided to travel for a couple of years. So we grabbed a van, we toured Australia for a couple of years and had a great time with our, our kids who were four, six and nine at the time. Um, and we finished doing that at the end of 16. Uh, and we settled in a place called Binningup, which is near Bunbury, um, about yeah, 25 minutes north of Bunbury in the southwest of WA and the wife and nurse and I'm working with the Shire of Harvey mowing lawns and whippersnipping and uh, doing a bit of general maintenance and and really, really enjoying where we live. Fantastic, mate. I love it. Didn't Being out the outdoors on a beautiful state as well, nice way to, uh, to spend each and every day. Hey, Hawley, let's get into it, mate. For those that sort of don't remember... Um, your journey started with the West Coast Eagles back in the early 90s. You were picked up in the 1990 draft and you made your debut in 1993. What are your early memories of playing with the West Coast Eagles? And I guess they were a really successful club, you know, in those early years when you, uh, when you were picked up. Yeah, no, it was a real um, eye-opener for me. Like, I, I intended to go to West Perth and play for a couple of years and try my hand at the waffle, but I 
I really didn't know how it was going to go and I wasn't expecting too much, but managed to play well enough in my first season to get drafted. Um, and from that point, uh, and I loved every minute I had at the West Coast, but we had, that was back in the day, there was 52 on the list. Um, there was only two on the interchange bench, so there was a lot of guys not getting a real look in, and especially it's not just a strong club at the time. Um, but I had three wonderful years there, managed to jag a couple of games, but um, it, yeah, it, it, playing AFL football wasn't something on my radar growing up. It was just something that happened. I never thought I was good enough, so to get the opportunity to go to West Coast and play those two games, which I thought was going to be my lot for a while. Um, and, and I would have been happy with that, to be honest, but um, I'm glad I got another opportunity. But my time at the West Coast was fantastic, a real successful era. The guys were winning flags or playing in grand finals, and yeah, that was a great, a great club to be a part of. And it must have been a club that would have been really hard to crack a game too, because obviously that success that came, you know, 91, 92 grand finalist and perennial sort of finalist in those early 90s. So, you know, I said drafted in 90, played in 93. You know, it must have been a pretty tough gig to try and get a game into a successful outfit. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was virtually impossible. Like we, we had a lot of players. I think if you went back and had a real close look at guys at West Coast in that era, who couldn't get a game but then went on to play a lot of football elsewhere. And just off the top of my head, I'm thinking Matt Connell went to Adelaide and played in a couple of flags and Matt Clappe went to Carlton and played in the flags. They're just off the top of my head. So I, I know there was guys that were close but not quite there. Uh, went to other places and, and did really well. So that was just an extraordinary side back in those early 90s. I think three grand finals in four years and um, really hard tried to crack into it there. Did That's you when you thought you were half a chance. There was some young boys coming through, McIntosh and Jakovic and Mitchell White started playing and made it that little bit harder again. So um, it was difficult, but, you know, it was a challenge and uh, and it was certainly something I had no regrets about. It was great to be a part of a successful organisation. What was it like being a part of the club in 1992? Obviously, you know, as you said, a big list, but, you know, you're still part of the footy club. 1992, you know, the first ever flag had been won outside of Victoria. Now, what was it like to be a part of the club and, you know, what was the atmosphere like with uh, when that occurred? Yeah, Perth obviously loved it. Perth went pretty crazy. It was funny, yeah, because there was only two on the bench, so there was 20 players each week, and there's probably a core group of 25 or 26 at the Eagles then that played pretty much every week. So if you weren't getting a game, you trained with them on the Monday, and then they did the main session on a Wednesday, but then you went back to your local club, which for me was worth first. So we got, so to be honest, you, you were an eagle and you were part of it, but um, you, you sort of knew that you weren't going to be involved in finals and as much as you would have loved to, you, you sort of, I was a West Perth person, even though I was with the Eagles and training, um, I knew where I was playing each week, that was pretty much a given. Um, so I, yeah, did obviously did my best at West Perth, but um, yeah, just it was just difficult in those days. The club had only been in the competition for five years, um, and there was real seating issues, I suppose, as you've seen as we go forward with GWS and Gold Coast and all the clubs that have come in. There's always issues going forward, and back in the day, I suppose it was guys like us who were never really going to get a look in, and we understood that, and knew that, um, but it sort of meant. That you, yeah, you felt like you're a waffle player training with an AFL club, which I suppose wasn't a bad thing because it gave us good training. But um, but we knew where we sat, and that was okay. 
So you left the Eagles at 1993 and you spent 1994 in the Waffle Hallie. Did you think your AFL dream or career was over or were you confident that it could, t- it, w- it could continue? Did you still have the drive to, to play at the top level? You know, what were you sort of thinking you know, throughout that 94 season? Um, no, I definitely thought my AFL career was over. I was going back to West Berkeley and when I first started West Berkeley, we were poor, but we, Jeff Geeson was our coach and um, we really got going and we had a good side and I thought there was a premiership up for grabs with West Perth in the next year or two. So that was my aim to hopefully play in a West Perth Premiership. And then I was probably going to head back down to the South West at WA. Um, so, and the name I just mentioned, Jeff Geeson, was the reason I ended up at Geelong because he became assistant coach at Geelong uh, following the 94 season. So that's basically what got me back into the AFL. So, um, now I wouldn't say given up on it, but I was content. Like I because I still at that point didn't think I was good enough to play AFL football. So when Jeff put my name forward at Geelong, I was thrilled, but still doubtful um, about whether I was good enough or not. But obviously, when you don't knock back that sort of opportunity. So now I was ready to play a couple of years at West Perth, hopefully win a flag, which they did in 95 when I when I left. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I obviously had to take that opportunity and, and so glad I did. Were you excited to go east and, and head to Geelong? You know, a team that had been playing finals and, you know, perennial sort of finalists. Um, were you excited about heading, you know, and continuing your journey in Victoria and with a side that's been in pretty good form in that, at that stage? Yeah, I, it's a while ago, but I, I'm sure I was excited, but I was also quite apprehensive. I mean, it took a lot to get me out of my local town, to be honest, to go and play waffle footy. So then to go and fly over the other side of Australia. Uh, and I, if it wasn't for footy, I'm 100% sure that I'd still be living in the town that I grew up in and, and would have been quite happy doing that. So it was a big move for a young kid who, well, I was not so young anymore, I was 24, but I was an opportunity was given to me that I just couldn't knock back. And, uh, and to get a second chance, I suppose you look at it a bit differently. And also being 24... I was a bit wiser, a bit more mature, a bit more worldly. Um, and I was a, a slow mature anyway, both physically and mentally. So 24 was probably the perfect time for me. So I um, jumped on the plane. It was actually a mid uh, pre-season draft. So I jumped on the plane on a Tuesday, trained on Thursday at Geelong, and then played in a practice match on Saturday morning at, against Hawthorne. At Waverley, I think we played about 8 o'clock in the morning because it was going to be about 46 degrees or something. So <laughs> it all happened very quickly. Can I ask you, what was it like adjusting to the weather? Because we know the great weather you have in Western Australia and then you come down to Geelong and I guess, uh, you know, Victoria is known for its cold weather and its unpredictable weather. <laughs> what, was the, what was it like weather-wise, um, you know, getting used to the climate down here? It was different. It's... Um, the summers are quite similar in a way. Like we're, we're very mild where we are. Um, we certainly don't get the rain that you guys have been having on the East Coast lately, that's for sure. But um, now the cold winters definitely took a bit of adjusting to and and just the condi- conditions in general in Geelong, there'd be days where it just didn't get above 12 or 13 degrees. I certainly didn't feel like it and I certainly wasn't used to that. I do remember a game in Geelong one time, there was a massive fog. And we started the game, I think, at 2 o'clock, and the fog didn't lift till about halfway through the second quarter. And I don't think, I think a lot of people didn't actually know what was going on because 
You couldn't see the scoreboard. You couldn't. You actually couldn't see the other end of the ground. So, yeah, very different the weather, but um, got used to it. Eventually, still don't like the cold all that much to be honest. But um, yeah, to get the chance to play AFL football, you'll you'll do anything. So I was happy to put up with the cold for a while. Where's the lead? It's a chip pass. It's underneath uh, Applet, underneath it, but waiting over the back is Derek Hall. Good play. So Derek Hall from directly in front, 30 metres out, kicks a goal. Good start to the Cats. Good start to Hall. So 95 season, Hawley, Gary Ayres obviously took over the coaching position from, from Blighty. Jeff Geeshan jumped on board, as you previously mentioned. You played 12 games. What was the role that they sort of seen you fulfilling in the team? Obviously, already knowing, you know, you've come over as, a, I guess, a forward, and the forward line was pretty strong still at that stage at Geelong, Ablett, Brown, Lestone, and Brown. What, did they, what sort of play did they see you um, being? Yeah, I think, I think initially, Trent, I was some sort of insurance, and that probably why the season panned out. Although I did play some games in the middle of the season and sort of cemented my spot there at different times. But I did play half back. I played half forward. I played on the wing. I played anywhere there was a hole, I suppose. And then towards the end of the season, and one of the great things about playing in this day and age, I think, would be the rotations. Because there was a game, I remember actually it was myself and Lee Colbert. It was against Melbourne at Optus Oval. And there was only... There might have been three on the bench in those days, but myself and Colby, we sat on the bench for all by 10 minutes. So the week after, it was a similar thing. I think I played about a quarter and a half. So at some point, you've got to go back and get a bit of match practice. So that's what happened to me. Went back and played some reserves footy. So, and the guys now with the rotation, just to get off to a bad start in the game, you've still got to be in the rotation. So you can obviously get that opportunity to, to get going. So um, I think, I was probably there for a bit of insurance and I missed out on a grand final berth. I was an emergency, but, um, you know, the boys, they had a full list to pick from and um, it was a horrible day. It, was, it actually probably wasn't a bad place to be sitting that day in the stands because it didn't go very well. But um, no, but if you had it told me that I was going across, I was on a one-year contract um, and I was going to play 12 games in my first season, I would have taken that. So it gave me something to build on and, and, go into that the following season, I suppose, with a bit of confidence that maybe I am good enough and I do belong in this league, so, which was good. Can I ask you, what was it like lining up next to the great Gary Ablett Senior? Did you much? Did you play much, you know, next to Gaza? You know, and I guess too, you know, being on his team, was it intimidating, you know, lining up next to him, knowing how good he was and I guess, uh, you know, a lot of the entries from your midfielders, Couchy and Buddha and these sort of guys would have been directed in Gaza's direction? I you don't think about it much at the time because you're so focused on what's best for the team and, and trying to get involved yourself and seeing if you can play a part. But looking back, um, it, it seems quite silly, really, to think that I actually stood on the same footy field and actually lined up next to, to Gary Ablett because, I mean, I, I know there's, there's a lot of talk about the best players and all that, and I know they go, I know they like to look at Brownlows and best and fairest and premiership, but I think you need to trust your eyes sometimes and, I just can't believe that other people consider that there's been a better player to watch than Gary Ablett Senior. And there's been some great players, and I'm sure you can mount an argument for some other people, but you get his highlights reel and have a look at it, and you'll sit there for two hours and go, my God, this, this guy's just playing a different game. So, but yeah, I think about it every now and then and think, my God, how lucky was I, actually. And people talk about it, 
every now and then it comes up. You might be at a party or just having, having a drink with someone and they'll mention it and go, oh, did you play with him? And you go, yeah. And it's a conversation for the next hour because they love talking about it. <laughs> and so do I, to be honest, because, yeah, I still, in a way, don't believe it happened. I'm so glad it did because uh, he just dominated. He, I, he was just so much fun to watch. He just did things on a footy field that he just didn't think were possible. And this was 30 years ago. He wasn't a great trainer. Um, I'm not sure that he looked after himself all that well off the field, but what he could do when the siren went and he had to switch on and he could just do things that other people couldn't and still can't, I don't think. So uh, clearly the best player I've ever seen and to think I played with him is quite mind-blowing. Oh, I love it, mate. I love it. It was uh, he just he brought him through the gates. You know, we had so there were so many great players at the Cats, but geez, when Gaz was just on fire, uh, the crowd would be up and about, and you know, even you know, watching it firsthand, ground level for you guys, it, it must have been fun. It was, mate. And there's certain games. There's one game for me that stands out. '95. It was the grand final rematch. We were playing West Coast, and they got off to a really good start. But at half time, it was really tight. And, and Gazza and Worshbold were having words going into the race, which were on the same side of the ground in those days, right next to each other. And Gazza just went off at half time. He just had a lot of expletives, but basically just he just knew he'd taken it upon himself that he wasn't going to lose to these blokes these days. We kicked nine goals, six in the third quarter to them, nothing. I think Gazza kicked six, um, and we beat them by 12 goals, and you just stood back and watched. It was... <laughs> And he was playing on Michael Brennan and Ashley McIntosh. He wasn't playing on Muggs, but he just he just decided he'd had enough and was going to take over, and he did. Oh, fantastic. So, Hawley, in 96, you played a full season with the Cats, which included playing a final, I think, again, WA State of Origin selection. What was the reason behind, I guess, your transformation as a player? Was there someone in the background that you could really credit the help with your form? And I know you spoke about Jeff Gershon before, or was it just, as you said, was it just having that mature head and doing something second time around, you just did it a little bit better? No, I, I, yeah, I think it's basically that trend. I got a, got a second opportunity. Wasn't sure where it was going to lead in 95, but there was enough. I did enough in 95 for me to go into a pre-season a full AFL pre-season, the first time that I'd done one for three or four years after my time at, um, at West Coast. And all of a sudden I thought, if I do everything right here, I might be a bit of a chance. So I can really remember throwing myself into that pre-season and just looking after myself like I hadn't in the past and certainly haven't in the future. Um, but And just got myself into a position where I just I, I required a bit of luck with injuries um, and maybe selection early on and things like that. But I thought, I think I can make a go of this now. And um, I was on a one-year contract again, so two-year, one-year contract to start off at Geelong time. I knew I had to perform. Um, and I was just really adamant that if it, was, if it wasn't going to work, it was only going to be because I wasn't good enough. I wasn't going to let um, a fitness issue or, or doing the wrong thing off the field. But I really did knuckle down for the first time probably in my career and, and managed, like you said, to play... Uh, every game bar one, I think I did miss a game in the middle of the season. Just had a little bit of a, a lull and they put me back for a week but came straight back after a week. And all of a sudden you feel like you belong and things change. You just Your mindset changes. Um, the belief in yourself goes up and uh, all of a sudden you, yeah, you just get a bit of momentum. And, and it was a beautiful thing right, to be in a position where you went out 
onto a ground each week, thinking that you're a real chance to perform well because you prepare well, you've looked after yourself, you're doing the right thing. Um, and then when it happens, it was very satisfying. So to have a year like that, um, which 18 months before that wouldn't have been in my wildest dreams, um, yeah, it was certainly something that I look back on really fondly. During that time in your, your career in the mid-90s, were you still having to do some part-time work as well? Because I guess it wasn't quite professional at stage. Was it? Did you still have to do a little bit of part-time work and mix that with you know your footy and the training and so forth? Or was it getting closer to that full-time football environment? It was definitely getting closer. We, My last year was in 2000 when Bomber took over and we just started training. Maybe the year before we might have done a little bit during the day, but it was still predominantly five o'clock and that sort of stuff. So I worked, yeah, pretty much all the time. I had a lot of different jobs. I worked at the racetrack for a while. I worked uh, at the at the Cadinia Park. I delivered water for a while. I worked, worked for Rex Durrell for a couple of years, I think, delivering spare parts. So, and, and as much as anything, it was just to keep busy. Um, and certainly the wages of an AFL footballer back in those days weren't what they are now. Um, and that would have been a beautiful thing. But uh we, we just needed to make sure, because most of our contracts too, I think back in the day, there probably were a couple on um, guaranteed contracts, but most of us were just on a base and then games played. So if you weren't playing, you need to, to make sure that there was a bit of money coming through. So now I worked and had different jobs and I suppose I wouldn't have, done it, wouldn't have liked it any other way really because, yeah, idle time. And I had a bit of idle time and probably did some things I shouldn't have, but <laughs> I think when you've got too much, of it on your hands and I think they do it so well these days like um, they look after the guys in terms of their education and you know are they thinking about life after football uh, so much better now than it was back in the day but those are the times and that's okay but um, yeah no, so I certainly worked all the way through so a normal day for me would be to get up at 6 o'clock go to work go to training come home I lived by myself the whole time I was in Geelong so get home from training at 9 o'clock and trying to find a meal somewhere and Stop it down, go to bed and do it all again the next day. I want to talk about the 97 season onwards, Hawley. Um, was the 1997 season maybe in your mind the beginning of the transition for the Geelong Cats? Obviously, that forward line I'm thinking of, but just some of that key personnel, you know, Hinkley, Kenny Hinkley previously finished up maybe a year or two before 97. Ablett's last year hurt his knee in that round one reserves game against the Tigers. Couchy's last year, I think it was Billy's last year. Stoneham played a couple more seasons, but... Was 97, I guess, the season where the transition was beginning for the for the Cats? I, I suppose, yeah, without having thought about it too much, you could, the names you rattle off there, it clearly looks like it is. Um, but we, we had a really good year in 97. We finished second on the ladder without a lot of those players that you just mentioned. We had a makeshift forward line. Just off the top of my head, I'm thinking Ronnie Burns, Jason Snell, Marty McKinnon, Adam Houlihan, myself, Paul Lynch, and there was probably a few others, but somehow we, we made it work and we put ourselves in a really good position in 97 and unfortunately, they were the days where first played eight, second played seven. Our home final was uh, North Melbourne at the MCG under lights, so it was a horrible night, wet night. We had a few injuries, Wayne Terry put on a show and unfortunately, it wasn't to be, so but you could probably look back and think that it was certainly a transition. Um, 98, 99 weren't all that good. So, this, yeah, the transition, 97, we made it work. But the next two years, for some reason, we couldn't. So I'm not sure what happened there. But obviously, after that, Bomber came in and, and they went to the draft. And that's 
still took a long while to happen. I mean, you didn't really see any results until 2005, 2000, and then towards 2007. But um, yeah, with all those young, all those greats of the footy club retiring at one at one time, it was a good opportunity for guys to stand up in '97, which a lot of guys certainly did. And um, I think a lot of the guys who played in that year look back and think that's the one that got away because we had a, we just had something going that year that was really good. We lost that first final. It then went to Adelaide, and that was the Lee Colbert Mark game. Oh, the, oh, Gary, the Gary Hawking touched, touched on the, the line. Oh, it bring you back yeah, memories, obviously, Ollie. Obviously, yeah. Well, obviously, what's a bit of a thing on YouTube. It's got, and, I, and I'm certainly not an umpire basher, and I think they do a great job, but it's about a two-minute clip, and it's just, I think, titled something like Dodgy Decisions of That Game. And there's about four or five other things that happened that game, which I'd entirely forgotten about, which just blew me away and I thought, wow, we just should have won that. And I think if we win that, yeah, maybe we might be talking about 1997 a little bit differently, but it didn't happen, so we can't go there. Oh, that Lee Colbert, Mark, I just do not know how that wasn't paid, mate. <laughs> yeah, it was a funny one. I've actually, I've actually umpired a bit of footy since my playing days have finished and you can get caught on the wrong side as an umpire and just miss stuff. Yeah. What, watching that on TV, you think, how the hell did that happen? But, if you do watch closely where Grant Vernon is, um, yeah, he just got blindsided and I, I still think you probably could have guessed that he barked that and, and that would have been nice if he had said that. But anyway, it didn't happen, mate, so we move on. <laughs> hey, after 1997, as you just said, it was a couple of lean seasons for the Cats, I guess. You know, there was no finals, some young ones coming through, and I guess the off-field issues started coming a little bit more public as well in relation to finances. Uh, Colby then... Had that uh, you know that high level departure. Gary Ayres moved on to the Adelaide Crows. What was the feel around the footy club like from a player's perspective during those those two, couple of years? And I guess nineteen ninety nine more succinctly. Yeah, I think that was like a bit similar ninety eight ninety nine. And um, yeah, and you, you reflect on your career and what you did, and there's certain things you look at and you do well, and certain things you think do the might have done that differently. And I think a lot of I can't speak for everyone that was at the club back then, but I certainly went into survival mode a little bit because uh, our, our, our game plan was a bit flawed, I think, and we just were really struggling. There was no cohesion, and you just go into survival mode thinking, what what, am, what can I do to try and make sure I get a game next week? And I shudder to think that, that I thought like that at the time because as you obviously get more mature and think about life a lot differently, um, it, it's... Yeah, hard to say, but I think there was, myself included, there was probably a lot of selfish footballers at the Geelong Football Club in that era. Um, and it did make it for a difficult place to be, to be honest. I can't remember which year it was. I'm, I'm sure it was one of them, 98 or 99, but we won the first five or six games, I think, and then proceeded to lose the next 10 or 11, something like that. I'm sure it was mm. one of those years. Um, and it just, yeah, it was just, and footy clubs are not great places to be when it's going like that and uh, you need a lot of integrity and a lot of you know good people around to try and dig yourself out of that hole. And uh, like I said, myself included, we just didn't have enough people who were willing to put their hand up and say, this isn't good enough, we need to do something about it. And uh, unfortunately, the hole just got deeper and deeper. So, um, yeah, it wasn't a nice couple of years at the footy club and, like I said, that's the way footy clubs can be sometimes. They're the best places in the world when things are going well and you're happy and you're winning. But 
yeah, they can be nasty places when it's not going well. So um, that was a real learning curve and a great experience, albeit, you know, not a very nice one, but that's where you learn, I suppose. So it's something I look back on and think I think I, I learned a lot about myself and also a lot of other people back in those times. The Thompson, Cook, Costa regime came in at the end of 1999. There were some major changes on all levels of the organisation. Um, your last season was 2000. Were you a casualty of the new beginnings? Did you feel that there was something still left in the tank or did you feel that, um, you know, maybe the end was getting a little bit closer for, for Derek Hall? Oh, in hindsight, Trent, it's easy to look back and go, yeah, no, it was definitely the end was nigh. I didn't know that about that. Like, I... I managed to eke out a few games at Geelong and was so thankful for them for picking me up and allowing me to do that. But then you get to, and I suppose I'll go down the same path a little bit, but and there was a few of us in this situation when Bomber came in and he had a clear path that he wanted to take the club down. And there was a mix and a splatter of experienced players who were still going to get an opportunity to help the young ones come through. But by and large, he was going to go to the draft and, and bring players through and try and build a premiership team. And... He ultimately did that, so you can't you can't question what he did. But certainly, once again, there was a few of us thinking maybe we were doing enough in the VFL. There was quite a few of us playing pretty decent football, but just not even getting a look in. And once again, I go back down that selfish attitude. I was, I was a little bit about the poor me's and why is this happening to me? And I look back now and think I just should have dug in and thought this is for the betterment of the team. How can I help the team? How can I help the club? I didn't think like that at the time. So. Um, a little bit embarrassing to think back and look back and think about how I was thinking at the time. But there was a clear vision. The club had a clear vision and uh, it was proven to be right down the track. Um, yeah, and I was a casualty of that. So that's fine. That's football. That's how it goes. I was about to turn 30, so I shouldn't have been surprised. I was about to turn 30 and not playing that well, so it shouldn't have come as a shock. But um, yeah, when you, I'd, I'd love to be a, a tw- have a 20-year-old body and play footy with a 50-year-old head because you just think about it so differently now. Yeah. Um, and look back and think, why did, why did I think like that? But that's just, the, that's just the way we were brought up. It's how it was. And coming off that 98, 99 season, there was still that, you know, that um, just in survival mode, just thinking, I've got to get through to the next game. How am I going to get another contract? All that sort of stuff. So, which is a horrible way to go about it. And once again, I think they do it a lot better now, but we'll place in that situation, didn't handle it all that well, but um, as it turned out, that was my last year and I just, yeah, still look back and can't be thankful enough for the Geelong Football Club and what they did for me. Can I ask you, what were your thoughts when the Cats won that premiership in 07, I guess, and then backing it up in 09 and 2011? Now, what were your thoughts as a former player and I guess, you know, you were there in 2000, Bombers taken over, so I guess you were there for that first year of the, the, the Bomber Thompson journey. Yeah, what were your emotions when um, you know the club that you've played seventy odd games for had uh, finally broken through that uh, for that premiership? You know that they'd been long waiting for. Um, yeah, probably the main two emotions. I think one was definitely envy because you know a few of those boys, and some of them were just starting out when I finished, so I didn't get to know know them that well. But there were a few that had been there a few years. Um, Tom Harley and Matty Scarlett, they'd been there long enough to get to know them quite well, and so there was definitely envy. Like you just that's what you play footy for is to be in that position. But but then it was just proud to be a Geelong Football Club person, to be someone who's played at the club, to um, someone that's worn the same jumper as the guys that were running around the Oval in 2007 and hoisting the Cup. So, yeah, 
as much as uh, you would have loved to have been at the position, you knew that the guys that had been the ones that had eventually got there in 2007, they worked their bums off. They'd been through the ups and downs and the highs and lows, and they deserved uh, every success that they got, which obviously included 2009 and 2011. So they're very proud to be a Geelong person in that era. Um, yeah, and hopefully we might see a bit more of it in the future. Absolutely. I hope you're right. Hey, Hawley, I finished the podcast with my guests with a quick couple of handballs. So I'm going to ask you this first question. I'm going to mention a few names, some teammates that you played with the Cats during your time. I want you to share a, a word or a, or a short sentence to describe them. So this one, this fellow is one of my favourites. You know, he's a warnable boy from where I'm from. Um, no longer with us, unfortunately, but was a super player. Paul Couch. Uh, funny laugh. Um, just happy. Um, slow, <laughs> um, and just got the best out of himself, played in an era that really suited him, um, and just a good person. Benny Graham. Yeah, uh, big, tall, athletic. Uh, yeah, I don't know, Benny could have been anything, might have been anything. Still see him on the telly quite a bit doing his NFL stuff, so uh, yeah, that's about it, I think. One of your uh, forward sidekicks, Ronnie Burns. Uh, electric. Um, initially quiet when I first met him, but then anything but. Uh, funny fella. Um, yeah, a good person to have a drink with. Another fellow I've got to know pretty well, he coached Port Ferry in the Hampton League in the uh, in the area that I live in, is Brad Scholl. Scholl-y. Yeah, probably funniest bloke I've played footy with, or certainly up there, one of. Um, very loyal, uh, very hard, hard footballer, on and off the field. Um, but, yeah, probably most other guys would say just a very funny individual. One of my great memories was uh, 1999. I'm not sure. I didn't see whether you were playing this game. I reckon you might have. And Ronnie Burns kicked a goal against Hawthorne. He might have kicked four or five, and he's done the cartwheel down at Kidinia Park. And then Shelley's come off the half-back line and kicked a beautiful goal from about 45 on the run, and he's done the cartwheel as well and didn't execute it as well as uh, the great Ronnie Burns. I don't know whether you recall that one or not. I do, yeah. I, I don't think I was playing, but watching the crowds. And I think that was part of that run that we had where, we won the first five or six games of the season and then just lost week after week. And Andy just pleaded with us to, if we did something well, just show some exuberance, just do something different. And he actually said, I don't care if you do a handstand, just do something. So I'd need to go back and have a look, but I'm not sure what the score was at the time. I think we might have been behind, could be wrong. But um, yeah, we were just looking for a trigger, something to switch, just something to change what was going on at the club at the time, which wasn't great. Um, yeah, and Ronnie's looked reasonably athletic and Charlie's looked anything but. <laughs> For a memory, I reckon my footy membership card the year after might have had a bit of a uh, background picture of Charlie doing that cartwheel or after he celebrated that goal from memory, but I can't be for sure. And, Hawley, the last one I'm going to ask you about, he was a really great halfback flanker, number 21, Mickey Mansfield. 95 I got there. The next two to three years, he was unbelievable. Um, great halfback. Read the play well, went forward and kicked goals. Um, short, stumpy legs, um, and a funny man. He was funny out on the track, actually. He was always up for a crack and a gag, uh, lighting the mood quite often. Uh, he was a good man. Uh, which one's your favourite game, or what's your favourite memory from your time in the AFL, mate? I think that actually the game I was talking about previously, 95, when we beat Geelong 
So we beat West Coast down at Cadinia Park because I obviously had been on West Coast list. So I got the listed. Went back to West Perth, found myself at Geelong playing against West Coast in a grand final replay and we had that amazing third quarter. And after that game, I was, yeah, I was on pretty good terms with myself because I managed to fluke a few kicks um, and had a little bit of an impact and we'd beaten my old team by about 70 points, I think, in a grand final replay. So I came off the ground thinking, no, that's, that's not a bad day. So I was pretty, I was pretty happy with that day. You sort of partly answered this question, but I wouldn't mind you elaborating a little bit more. But this one's about your best characters, and you, you mentioned uh, Brad Scholl was, uh, you know, certainly a character. Um, tell us a bit about Scholl and, and why he was such a good character, and if there was anyone else that sort of come to mind as well. Oh, there's plenty of them. Like footy clubs just throws up good and bad people, I suppose, but the, yeah, the good ones are just the fabric of the footy club. Scholl was just someone that was always, he was loud, um, he was always up and about, um, he was someone that just made you feel good about rolling to the footy club. Um, there was others in the same. Lee Colbert was a fantastic leader, and that was a real blow when he left the footy club. Um, other ones that may be a bit more obscure, but I got on really well with uh, Hamish Simpson and Clint, Clint Bizzle when they were at the club. They were guys that were just always up and about. And You go to footy training and you do your best, and you're obviously trying to become a good football side. But we did things outside of footy that were just fun. Um, played golf and just caught up and just had a bit of fun. And there were a couple of other guys that made footy clubs just, uh, or the footy club, a nice place to be and somewhere that you look forward to going to each day. Geez, I love it when you're pulling out some of these names, mate. Hamish Simpson, number 24. Clint Bizzle, I'll tell you what, he had some aerial skills. He was a good player, Bizzle. I was shattered when he went to the D's. He was actually um, on a podcast. There's a Cat Whiskers thing. I don't know if you've heard about that. but And he spoke about that. And he, I didn't really know the full story, but he was, really shattered with the way it went down. So that was interesting to listen to. And, and Amy Simpson was one of my favourite teammates. Like we we did a lot together. We had um, this thing called Care for Kids, which was going around to schools and giving them a little an insight into the life of a, wouldn't say an elite football at the time, but just someone who was trying to play AFL football. And um, he's doing really well for himself now. Last time you know, he was living up in Nullumbai on the Go Peninsula in the Northern Territory and producing his own fishing shows. So if you Google Hamish Simpson and fishing show, you might find Simo sitting in a boat somewhere up in uh, the Northern Territory trying to catch a few barra. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll be doing that for sure. And last one, mate, and I've just loved the chat with you. What made the 90s a great decade to play footy in? That's a really good question. Not sure, to be honest. I suppose it was the last part of football before it came became really professional. And as much as you'd love to play footy now in the professional era and train as much as they do and just give yourself every chance of being as good as you can be. I've, I've, I, I love football. I still love watching football. I love talking football. I love my country football club. I just love everything about it. And if you had to tell me that I had to spend 50 hours at a football club and wasn't allowed to have a beer after the game and had to watch what I eat a little bit more than I used to back in the day, I'm not sure that would have sat too well with me. So we could still get away with a bit. Like the Lyric Hot Club used to cop it on a Saturday <laughs> night after a home game. Um, and we used to go down to, oh, I used to be a Kidinia Cafe and have what the dietitians were just proud upon now on a Sunday after a game and eat. We used to have a few beers, we used to have a laugh. There wasn't social media, so we you know, didn't get photographed 
doing the wrong thing, which we did often, but no one knew about it. So it was all right, we got away with it. So I think that was, we were just the last one to get away with maybe being able to be ourselves um, and just happen to be good enough to play AFL football as well. So you used to get, be able to do that on the weekend in front of 30, 50, 70,000 people. How good is that? And then you get to go out and enjoy a beer with your mates and just be a normal person afterwards. So I don't know if I answered your question, Trent, but that, that's the best I've got. Love it, Hawley. On that note, mate, a big thank you for joining us on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Really appreciate you reminiscing and sharing your story, Derek. It's been an absolute pleasure. Good on you, Trent. Yeah, no, I, like I said, I love talking footy. I love, I don't do it often, but thinking back about the old days and you mention a few names and you start thinking about blokes and uh, it was good fun back, back in the day and it's been good to catch up and have a chat and talk about those, those good old days. Will it sit in it? Will for Brownless. He's got it, Billy. He centers it. Terrific play, Brownless. Finds Hall. Play on, says the umpire's Hall on the left boot. Bends it back. It's a goal to Geelong. You wouldn't believe it. Second goal to Hall. Oh, just up and down the ground. This is great football. That's the end of episode number 25. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch them all on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. We're on all the social media platforms, so drop us a line on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter on any particular episode you've enjoyed or a guest you'd love to hear from. Next week, we catch up with a former Footscray Western Bulldog big man who is a crowd favourite. It's tough, it's rugged, it's good, solid AFL football.